Welcome to the Parents at Work Teen Clinic podcast. These clinics are an opportunity to dip into a short Q&A session and ask a question for yourself that may help another parent going through a similar issue. The format for the show is always the same. I'll do a short introduction and we will then have questions people have sent in to me or other most common questions I get asked in private parenting sessions. This month's topic is communication and how communication changes from childhood to adolescence. The perception is that they go from having respect to no respect, from being polite to outright rude. Yet, I would like to suggest these are sweeping statements and heavy loads for adolescents to be under. So let's look at this one conversation at a time. Lack of communication is at the core of all conflict. That is a statement I am going to make. Heads of state struggle with this, as do two-year-olds in the shopping aisles, as we have all witnessed. Same, same, right? How do we bring communication to be part of education at home? Let's consider how do we communicate. Thanks to some research by Morabian in 2007, it shows that when we communicate feelings and attitudes, only a small percentage of our overall messages come from the words we use. 55% of our messages come from our body language. Think about the uh, movements around our eyes, which can convey shock, disbelief, doubt, or disgust even. 38% of our message comes from the tone of our voice. And only 7% of our message is conveyed by the words that we use. That's huge. If you just sit and understand those statistics, that is huge. How often do we communicate with or receive communication from our teens without any words being spoken? Put this into context of the adult brain development. Their, their brain has yet to understand the nuances of those physical expressions. They don't actually know how to translate. So they can misunderstand disbelief or disgust. They can, they can um, think that you're angry when actually you're shocked or you're hurt or you're upset or you're surprised. And that's how problems with communication can arise. So one basic level we know we, is that we see through our eyes, we hear through our ears and we smell through our nose. Yet we have negated what we pick up through our body. We have expressions such as, that doesn't feel right or I smell a rat. We see someone say they are relaxed and yet we hear them slam the door, crash the kitchen cupboards, stomp upstairs. Uh, you know, the, the person is saying they're relaxed and may genuinely be unaware of the tension they have in their body, but others pick up on the movements that say so much more than the words. When children are still trying to work out the meanings of words, they are highly attuned to what they feel and place, place much greater value on that than what they hear. And this is when confusing messages and education happens. Let me offer a scenario to illustrate my point. As a mother, stroke father, you have an argument with someone, either at work or perhaps with each other. Nothing to do with your child, but it's on your mind when you come home. It's a tension in your body and your brain is processing how to deal with that situation. You're not ready to talk about it, but it's churning over inside. And your child can tell something's up because you're distracted. You feel tense. You snap at them and they don't know why. They may say, are you okay? 
but trust me, they actually already know you're not okay because you're not your fluid, cozy, warm, loving self. Um, but they're asking because they know something's not right. They're looking for confirmation so they can process what their next step might be. You dismiss them. Really, it's nothing to do with them. They wouldn't understand you. You couldn't explain the ins and outs of the argument or the conflict may even be inappropriate to do so. Therefore, you keep it to yourself. You say you're fine. You might even snap back that you're fine, um, that it's none of their business. But the way you say you're fine shuts down the conversation and it shuts down the support that you could have had from expressing how you were feeling, even if it was just to say, yeah, well picked up. I'm not feeling quite right, but I'm still processing it for myself. Give me a little bit of time if that's okay. What the other version says to the child is don't trust what you sense because the person you love most just lied to you. They said completely the opposite of what you felt. They learn to doubt what they feel and they also learn that if they communicate what they feel to the person who they're feeling it from, what they are communicating may not be well received and they might bite back and they learn there are dangers in some forms of communication. Now, we are a product of the way we've been brought up. So it's not to say that we haven't done any of this or we haven't experienced any of this. Um, as I say all the way through, please um, consider getting support for yourself uh, to understand what your quirks and nuances are because there's always such a focus on fixing a problem with adolescence that we forget that we can model a way of living and a way of communicating that actually might solve 90% of the problems. Now, when I came to this realization, I had a sinking feeling in my stomach because I realized how much I had taught my kids um, and not knowing really or being able to think fast enough about how to process. So, but don't freak out, literally just say, okay, I didn't know then what I know now. And now I'm going to actually stop protecting my children um, from what I can't communicate. I'm going to have to find a way of communicating so that they learn to trust their innate instinct when something feels right or feels wrong. So they learn to trust their feelings. That way, we don't leave them inadequately equipped to deal with the world they're growing up into. And I really feel from the people that I see every single day that this is part and parcel of the growing anxiety we see in young people. They don't know how to um, cope with what they're feeling when what they're feeling is being denied by the, by, by the adults around them. So if you're up for it, you can have a fresh approach to communication, offer freedom of expression to your children as we all learn together. Now I did this, I said to my children that they could say, they could speak honestly and that um, I would learn to deal with what they were saying, but there was a standard. They needed to have decency and respect in what they shared, but that I would be really open to any conversation they had so that they could learn to do it in the safe environment of the home. They would learn how to discuss, how to debate, how to negotiate, how to take responsibility for the words that came out of their mouths and to not be abusive and to actually learn what abuse sound felt and um, sound and sounded 
and felt like. All these skills kept um, are, are what keep young people emotionally, psychologically, and physically better equipped to embrace and communicate the challenges that come their way. So let's jump right into some of your questions. How do I deal with grunting that I get from my son instead of words? Oh, man, I get this question so often. Um, and I can share from my own experience because I have lived this one. Okay, now this is not an excuse, but it's worth bringing some understanding in here as well. Their brain is developing at a pace they can find hard to keep up with. And sometimes the words, the reasoning, or the forming of comprehensible words is actually quite hard. They may want to talk to you about something else entirely, not just what you want to talk to them about. I appreciate that there may be some uh, conversations that need to happen in that moment, but just bear with me for a short while. I'll give you an example. I went into my son's bedroom to ask him about his being prepared for the next day and his homework, and he just grunted back at me. He was sitting on his bed um, with his laptop, and um, he looked to me like, you know, in my picture, oh, he's just on... YouTube, he's just doing this, he's doing that. I had, I had painted him with a whole load of assumptions that um, I had no way of knowing if they were true or not. Regardless of past experiences or anything else, I did not know if they were true. But I still stood at the door and I'm trying to work out, okay, what do I do next? Because something doesn't feel right. He doesn't look like he's, um, he doesn't feel like he's being difficult. Um, and as I was standing by in the doorway, he asked me a question about why people do certain things. And it opened up, you know, a whole conversation that would never have happened had I got on my high horse, which I was tempted to do, and ask him to speak to me with words and not with grunts. You see, my timing was my timing, but he had something he was processing and I had jumped into his world and demanded that he be on my schedule. This kind of relationship, though, doesn't just happen. It, this has been built by me with my children over a number of years. It, it's important to learn the skills for listening, for being present when someone is talking, asking questions that you feel will support them to get the clarity for their problem, and not necessarily offering what you deem to be the fastest way to get a solution so you can get back to what you, whatever it is you've been interrupted from, which was my way. Um, if your child senses you don't have time for them, they will feel undervalued. And that is a huge communication you may not have intended, but that's what they get. And then they don't share with you because they think, oh, well, you haven't got time to talk this through with me properly, so I just won't bother. I'll just grunt back at you. So much of the communication with my son changed when I stopped communicating that I didn't have time. I made more space. And I know... I've worked full-time and I've parented full-time. I have worked more than one job and parented. I know the difficulties of time and space. However, where are our priorities? Do you want to be dealing with problems or do you want to be on the front foot? And actually, you would probably prefer to have more space in your day as well. And is there a better way of setting up your day so that you allow space for those kinds of conversations and just to hang with your kids and hang with your teens. Uh, they may not want to spend that time with you, but is it because you actually haven't had much time to spend with them and so they've actually found a better way of entertaining themselves? Just a thought. 
so the other thing I did was um, was quite entertaining actually. I learnt the language of grunting. It actually is quite good fun, and it's very clear. Uh, my favourite one was I don't know. Uh, so I would say you know are you doing X Y and Z, and I would get back. Mm-hmm. That's very clearly I don't know. Have fun with it. I, I did. Uh, it improved my listening skills enormously actually, and the grunting diminished. Another question. Uh, my daughter disrespects me. How do I stop this? Wow, there's so much um, communication that can happen verbally with, with disrespect, but it's something we really need to get on top of very, very quickly because the disrespect in the communication, in the language, means that there is a lack of respect, obvious, right? But how long has that lack of respect been there and have we brushed it under the carpet to the point that it's now being verbalized in actually quite an abusive way and they don't care about the consequences of this disrespect. When I work with teenagers on respect, and I do that really quite a lot in the work that I do, without exception, they say that respect is earned and if they don't feel respected, they are less likely to respect in return. Now that's a major problem in a classroom or with parents. However, if we as the adults in this relationship, as the ones with more, you know, um, uh, hours on the road, all of that, if we can be the role model for respect, then they will step into that. Let's step back, ask what kind of role model did we have around the house for communication? Was there respect? Was it a, re a reflection that is the, re is the communication that you're getting a reflection of what you have lived and mirrored and now you're getting it back, you're not liking it. Teenagers are going to be far more honest. They, they're going to, um, they've got a voice and it's important they have this voice because they're learning to be adults. We must not crush that voice, but we must have it as, as a standard of communication. Don't go into judgment with yourself. Like, you know, we all have to learn this. I have had to learn it. Um, but for me, uh, the way I communicate now has a standard of respect for everyone. I don't care if it's a two-year-old, a 90-year-old, a police officer, a politician, um, uh, me, uh, a cleaner, my child, um, whoever it is, whatever they do, whatever job they have, it is of equal importance. They are of equal importance as a person. Don't go into judgment with yourself. We need to understand that we may be speaking in a way that's pretty harsh on ourselves and therefore we're speaking harshly to another. Therefore, they in turn will speak harshly back to us. And it's only when they speak harshly back to us that we get the stop that goes, hold on a second, that's not okay. Also bring some understanding to what normal conversation is like in their school. For example, I was shocked when my daughter um, started talking to her siblings a few years back. She was using language that we did not use in the house and I rarely heard it come from her. But I realized that this is how she spoke with her friends all the time. They called each other words I would have taken as an insult and actually swearing rude. They, they took them as words in terms of endearment. Now turn that round to sibling and sibling issues there was a definite undercurrent and a bit of a um, slap in the words, uh, even though they, you know, they're saying, oh, no, it's fine, it's fine. 
We had to reset the standards for the tone and words that are acceptable and not acceptable in the home. Top tip, make sure you live that standard yourself. If anyone in the house is disrespecting anyone, then it needs to be addressed because it fosters a normal that could prove quite dangerous in another situation. And watch out for sarcasm. It actually communicates that abuse is okay under the cover of humor. Be super, super aware of that. Okay, next question. My teen talks to me, but not my husband. How do I deal with that? Well, you know, I hear this difference between communication standards and styles and behavior quite often. Teenagers, again, start to recognize that they have some control and that their attention is something they can give or not give, and it has power. It often shows, though, the dynamics that are going on in the family about who they feel respected by or listened to in many cases. Once again, they are communicating and allowing them to have opinions is another life skill that will keep them safe in many situations. Children are less drawn to fake politeness than adults and tend to be more honest. And this is something we should encourage, even if what we hear is what we really don't want to hear or don't want to know. Think of the story of the emperor's new clothes, that really says it all. There is likely to be something they're trying to communicate, but they don't feel they have the words to do so. So it may not be what we want to hear, but it may be, and it may not be us that they can tell. So it might be worth finding another family member or offering counseling to understand their emotions better and how to communicate what they're feeling so that they don't go into those perhaps more extreme emotions. My teen is a proficient liar. I keep catching them out, but they just get angry with me and convince me that I'm the one that's wrong. What can I do? It feels like every conversation is turning into an argument. Oh, what a good question. Yeah, really hard because you can start to question your own reality. And if we think about the longer term impact of that behavior, we can see it in the domestic violence term gaslighting when one person undermines the other's reality. And this can go both ways, male, female, female, male, female, female, male, male. Firstly, reset the ground rules. Trust is very important in a relationship, in every relationship. Therefore, um, you know, if you, the truth is also very important. It's okay to disagree, it's okay to negotiate and to learn to explain decisions. In fact, those are great life skills. We have to share with them that lying puts them in danger and takes a lot of energy. So it's in their interest to tell the truth. There was a young girl who used to climb out of her bedroom window and go to parties at night or just hang in the local park or someone else's house. When the parents found out, they were devastated and tried everything to control the behavior. Nothing worked. In fact, the behavior and the rebellion escalated. So it was time for a different approach to communication. The parents sat down with the teen and asked about why they did it, what their friends were like, if they ever felt scared. They stopped judging and they set out to understand what the behavior was communicating. They listened. At times it was uncomfortable, but they listened and the tension started to ease. They needed a counselor to deal with some of the bits that they personally couldn't handle um, and they found hard to hear. Um, but what happened is that the communication between their teen and themselves really improved. They set out to work out what the rules of the home were together and everyone signed up to those rules. It went both ways. Parents had communication issues and boundaries that they were trampling on as did their teen. 
But what transpired um, out of honoring those new boundaries was the team became much more accountable for their behavior. They knew that if they moved up from one location to the next, they needed to text their parents, not from a following them or checking up point of view, but to ensure they were safe and someone knew where they were. There was a deal that the team could call um, if they ever got into trouble. That is a, that is a thing that every, every parent should have with their, their teenager. Um, you know, if you get into trouble, call. I'm right here for you. Um, however, if the call came and they needed to figure out where the team was because they weren't where they were expecting them to be, then that takes time to ask questions. Why are you there? You might go into a conversation when actually the team does not have time for that. They just need to be picked up and picked up fast. Therefore, it is in the teenager's interest to make sure that they communicate and that they communicate where they're going to be and that the honesty is there. The enormous difference it makes to a relationship is one of mutual respect. The team began to trust the process and stop lying to the parents. And it took time for the parents to trust the team because it was fairly fragile. But they found that when everyone spoke the truth, there was an ease in the body. You could tell when someone wasn't telling the truth because there was a tension. There was something that didn't feel quite right. So they worked out, there was an openness and communication about where they wanted to go. And if the parents really didn't want them to go there, they worked out why and whose fear it was and if it was founded. It helped the team get their prefrontal cortex to make those reasoning decisions and decision-making skills a bit more robust, and perhaps a little earlier than they would have been. So a point to consider, how do you communicate? Do you communicate verbally what you move physically? If you're ready to embrace the potential of a respectful relationship between you and your teen, then give them permission to speak openly, to practice honest conversation, even if it's not what you might want to hear. There must always be a commitment to communicating with respect and decency. And if you say you're fine and they don't think you are, then you have to be open to the fact that they're going to call that out. You have to answer truthfully at that stage and perhaps appreciate that they have made you a bit more aware of that you're not speaking what you're actually feeling. Get support from a counselor or a psychologist. It can be really helpful to understand why we do what we do and why we say what we do and why we don't say what we don't say. Remember, all behavior is a form of communication and teens are working with a brain that is rejigging to deal with the new requirements of upcoming independence and more complex relationships at the same time as constantly learning through an education system that has a pace and agenda that cannot easily bend to individual growth patterns. So home needs to be that space. It's always much easier to work on a prevention health and balance model than trying to fix or address an issue that has exploded. So honesty and getting support would be my number one top tip for healthy relationships and communication. If there is trust between each other, that no matter what, love is still there, then everything is possible. Be consistent, predictable, and reliable. Thank you for listening um, to this month's podcast, and I look forward to catching up with you next month when we will consider social media challenges. How do we communicate online as opposed to in person? And what are the areas to watch out for?